Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 10, Episode 10, Kanto and Tohoku. In 1587, the Kyushu Campaign had ended, and Toyotomi Hideyoshi was in effective control of nearly the entire nation. However, to his east lay two problems which he wanted to solve. The domain of Tokugawa Ieyasu, which stretched across much of eastern Chubu, and Hojo Ujimas, who controlled most of Kanto. Although Tokugawa Ieyasu had formally submitted to obeying Hideyoshi's orders as regent, Hideyoshi still distrusted him, especially because of his ties to the later Hojo clan of Kanto. You may recall that in the wake of Oda Nobunaga's death, the Hojo immediately invaded the eastern provinces controlled by his retainers, and even fought them at the Battle of Kanagawa. The Tokugawa and Hojo clans had a long semi-friendly relationship, which had been sealed in part by a marriage alliance between Hojo Ujimasa's son Ujinao and Princess Toku, daughter of Ieyas. The Hojo had also been uncautious in their dealings with Hideyoshi. Along with Tokugawa Ieyasu, Hideyoshi had, in 1588, invited Hojo Ujimasa to attend the emperor during a celebration of the regent's new palace, Jurakudai. Although Ieyasu had attended and signed the oath of obedience, Ujimasa did not attend. The next year, 1589, another magnificent imperial celebration was planned at Jurakudai, but once more, Ujimasa refused to make the trip from his headquarters of Odawara Castle. It does seem like the Hojo clan realized its mistake soon after, and Ujimasa wrote to Hideyoshi proclaiming his willingness to visit in the spring or summer of 1590. When the Kampaku curtly refused, it was clear that conflict was inevitable. Both sides expected Tokugawa Ieyasu to support them. Hojo Ujinao was his son-in-law, but he had already pledged loyalty to Hideyoshi. The regent probably spurned the Hojo daimyo's attempt at making peace, specifically to force Ieyasu into a commitment either way. Tokugawa Ieyasu was, after all, the only other daimyo in the nation to fight Hideyoshi to a standstill. It is entirely possible that Hideyoshi hoped Ieyasu would side against him so that he would have an excuse to destroy him. It is worth noting that Hideyoshi specifically did not ask for Ieyasu's military support during the campaigns of Shikoku and Kyushu. Ieyasu had good reason to worry that Hideyoshi's mistrust might manifest into a large-scale invasion of his own domains, especially now that Kyushu and Shikoku were so firmly in the region's grasp. Ieyasu may have been trying to steer clear of the Kampaku's paranoia, when he announced that not only would they side with Hideyoshi in the coming conflict with the Hojo, but the Tokugawa would commit significant troops to the effort of crushing the Hojo. As soon as he had declared war, Hideyoshi raised a huge army, which may have been as large as 200,000 warriors. A growing navy was likewise deployed, with thousands of ships sailing toward the coastal provinces of Kanto. Certainly, Hideyoshi had learned from past experience, especially the siege of Ishiyama, 
the value of blockading coastal fortifications so they could not be supplied via the sea. All things considered, this particular invasion still feels a little bit like overkill. The Hojo had around 50,000 warriors which they could call upon, and Kanto itself is mostly a gigantic plain with very little strategic terrain which numerically inferior forces might use to gain an advantage. However, there was another reason why Hideyoshi may have desired to mobilize a massive army against a relatively underpowered foe. He had designs that stretched far beyond the boundaries of Japan. As early as 1585, Toyotomi Hideyoshi had been occasionally voicing his desire to invade Ming Dynasty China. The potential motivations behind this invasion are unfortunately somewhat obscure, and we will discuss them in further detail in future episodes. One of the possible reasons why he marshaled such a massive invasion force against the later Hojo clan was to test the logistical back-end of amassing a large army and coordinating its actions. The Hojo called up every available warrior at their disposal, which again, numbered at most 50,000 in total, and prepared a defensive response for this incursion. The castles of Kanto were a huge source of strategic power, and few clans understood this better than the Hojo. We discussed the Hojo clan's castle-wise strategies during the previous season, especially their founder Hojo Soun's achievement of taking Odawara Castle, now their primary headquarters, by tricking its garrison into fleeing. However, if you are hoping to outwit Toyotomi Hideyoshi in matters of siegecraft, having large castles with alert garrisons is probably not going to be enough. That being said, it helped that the Hojo were not defending only one castle, but had garrisoned an entire network of castles throughout their domain which were generally managed by loyal warriors who understood the stakes if they lost. In April of 1590, Hideyoshi's personal army departed from Kyoto with much fanfare and celebration from the residents of the capital. Tokugawa Ieyasu was ordered to approach Kanto along the southern coastal highway called Tokaido, while another retainer was tasked with securing the central mountain highway called Nakasendo. Thanks to the preservation of some of Toyotomi Hideyoshi's writings, we know some of what he expected from this campaign. He believed that the Hojo were prepared for a long, drawn-out siege, and thus he had ensured that his extremely large and cumbersome army was well-supplied and prepared to prosecute an extended conflict which could take years to resolve. While the navy he had utilized had many warships armed with arquebuses and cannons, a significant number were dedicated to hauling freight. The ocean still offered a much swifter means of a supply line than land. In his prosecution of the war against the Hojo clan, we once again observe a sharp distinction between the characters of Hideyoshi and Nobunaga. When Nobunaga commanded troops against enemies ensconced in castles, he usually opted for an assault. However, assaulting well-defended castles meant greater casualties and, if they failed, often destroyed the morale of the attacking army. Even during his time serving Nobunaga, Hideyoshi had displayed a remarkable talent for taking fortresses while minimizing loss of life. His early victory at Inabayama Castle, in which he and a team of commandos snuck into the fortress and then quickly sent its defenders into a panic, revealed a keen, perceptive mind. 
His use of diverted river water swelled by seasonal rains to flood Takamatsu Castle indicated that this man might just be a genius in the realm of siege warfare. However, even Hideyoshi had been forced to resort to starvation tactics under the right circumstances. Many castles did not have an unguarded quadrant, a lowland location, or some other exploitable weakness. The castles of the Hojo clan were notoriously hardy, and they had spent the previous three years revamping their fortifications in anticipation of an attack by Hideyoshi. The regent ordered his massive army to dig in and prepare for a long fight. In addition to the main target of Odawara Castle, forces loyal to Hideyoshi surrounded several other well-entrenched castles in Kanto, most of them manned by clans subordinate to the Hojo. Hideyoshi also ordered the construction of a castle upon a tall mountain about three kilometers, that's almost two miles, from the besieged fortress at Odawara. Intended as a temporary fortification for the duration of the siege, Ishigakiyama Castle was built in an area covered by dense forest, out of sight of the defenders in Odawara. The temporary fortress's construction took three months. Utilizing his talent in the arena of psychological warfare, Hideyoshi instructed his troops to invite their wives to join them at the front. He also invited merchants with luxury consumer goods to attend the siege line, hawking their wares to the samurai wives. Entertainers were likewise brought to Kanto to perform for the soldiers waiting below the walls of Odawara. It is worth noting that the Hojo had initially planned to fight Toyotomi Hideyoshi in the field, using their many castles as bases from which lightning attacks could be launched in the course of the battle. This idea was abandoned by the war council who, after much deliberation, favored a defensive castle approach. Whether a more assertive defense would have worked is a matter of speculation, but I feel comfortable asserting that attempting to wait out the Toyotomi army was a huge mistake. The outlying castles in the Hojo's network gradually fell one after another. In spite of some spirited skirmishes by defending troops, these castles surrendered in the face of starvation and overwhelmingly negative odds. After Ishigakiyama Castle was completed three months into the siege, Hideyoshi ordered that the trees which concealed it be felled in the middle of the night. When dawn broke, the defenders holding Odawara blinked in disbelief that there was a castle within their view where no castle had previously existed. As reports trickled into Odawara that many of the other castles had fallen, morale was ebbing dangerously low. For Hideyoshi to have seemingly built an offensive castle overnight was another blow to an already fragile situation. On August 4th, 1590, a mere nine days after the big reveal of Ishigakiyama Castle, Hojo Ujimas offered Hideyoshi his surrender. Hideyoshi accepted, adding the condition that Ujimasa and his brother Ujiteru commit seppuku. Their heads were sent to Kyoto for public display. Ujinao, the son of Ujimasa, was spared from this indignity thanks to being the son-in-law to Tokugawa Ieyasu. He was initially sent to Mount Koya Monastery to take vows, but afterward was gifted a modest fief which allowed him to live comfortably. One of the sieges of the smaller outlying castles that took place during the larger siege of Odawara deserves special mention. Oshi Castle in Musash province was held by the Hojo-allied Narita clan. 
It was located in a lowland, swampy area, and the daimyo of the Narita had taken the bulk of their warriors to assist the Hojo in Odawara, leaving only a little over 600 to defend Oshi Castle. In their daimyo's absence, his daughter and son raised 2,000 conscripts and prepared to defend the fortress. Ishida Mitsunari, a minor daimyo from Omi province whose fortunes were rising thanks to his early support of Hideyoshi, was tasked with taking Oshi Castle. Early attempts at assault were repulsed, and it became clear that something more clever might be in order. Possibly seeking to emulate Hideyoshi's famous siege of Takamatsu Castle years before, Mitsunari ordered the construction of a series of canals and levees which would redirect water from a local river into the basin where Oshi Castle sat. As torrential summer rains fell, the river swelled and the land around Oshi filled with water, just as he had planned. However, the daughter of the Narita Daimyo and Onabugesha, a warrior woman, named Princess Kai, had other plans. Oshi Castle had a moat, which was likewise swelled with water from seasonal rains. She ordered some of the moat's levees to be broken, raising the floodwaters around the fortifications which swept away some of the samurai who were holding down the siege. Thus, Mitsunari's attempt at flooding his enemies out completely backfired. When Mitsunari attempted another assault after reinforcements arrived, the defenders of Oshi not only repulsed the attack, but killed one of his highest-ranking retainers. The death of such an important enemy buoyed morale in the fortress, and thus their resistance continued. It wasn't until Odawara Castle surrendered that the defenders of Oshi likewise laid down their arms. The failure to take Oshi Castle by force when he had many advantages was a stain on Ishida Mitsunari's reputation as a battle leader. As for Princess Kai, when Hideyoshi heard about her brave exploits on the battlefield, he took her into his household as a concubine and recruited her father as a general. While the siege of Odawara, technically the third siege of Odawara, was still ongoing, Hideyoshi crafted an interesting plan which he believed would solve any lingering issues regarding the future loyalty of Tokugawa Ieyasu. The Kampaku was, after all, planning an invasion of Korea and did not want to worry about Ieyasu attempting to seize power in Kyoto while he commanded the invasion from Kyushu. He made Ieyasu a tempting and surprising offer, give up his claim over the five provinces he currently controlled in exchange for the eight provinces of Kanto, which would shortly be in Hideyoshi's hands to give away. As you may recall, Kanto was one of the richest regions in the nation in terms of sheer crop yield, and it may seem like a strange decision to seemingly empower a rival by granting them wealthy provinces. The immediate result of this relocation, however, was to disempower the Tokugawa clan. They had been a significant force of political and military power in their home province of Mikawa and throughout the domains they governed. Relocating Ieyasu and his retainers was a way of severing them from their long-standing entrenched power base and placing them in control of a very insular region full of samurai who had been loyal to the clan which the Tokugawa had just helped destroy. While this would prove effective in the short term, it was still a gamble. If Ieyasu managed to gradually obtain the kind of following he had in his former domains, he could end up being more powerful than ever. As a kind of stopgap against this future power, Hideyoshi awarded large domains around Kanto to some of his most loyal and long-standing retainers and vassals, 
as if he intended to imprison Tokugawa Ieyasu in Kanto and prevent his ability to easily link with other powerful clans in different parts of the nation. Ieyasu accepted this deal, and when the Hojo submitted in August of 1590, he relocated his clan to Kanto, headquartering in Edo Castle, a fortress which we briefly discussed last season. Originally built by Ota Dokan, a retainer of the Uesugi, Edo Castle was a well-designed fortress which fell under the control of the Hojo clan after they defeated the Uesugi in battle in 1524, and the Castellan of Edo welcomed the Hojo as his new overlords. While it was still a fairly obscure backwater fortress, Ieyasu would dedicate a lot of resources into its renovation, eventually making it equal parts defensible and luxurious. Kanto had been subdued, but certain events that transpired during the siege of Orawara made Hideyoshi suspicious about the loyalties of Date Masamune, the daimyo of the Date clan who ruled much of the Tohoku region. Masamune had initially politely but firmly refused to support Hideyoshi's campaign against the Hojo. When Hideyoshi threatened to confiscate his domains if he persisted in his refusal, he agreed to send troops, but then proceeded to delay and give excuses. Ultimately, no Date Samurai participated in the Kanto campaign, and the regent was extremely furious at this development. He sent Date Masamune a strict warning, demanding that he present himself immediately. Masamune appears to have believed that he overplayed his hand, and was facing either invasion from the great Toyotomi army if he failed to appear, or execution if he decided to make the trip and see the Kampaku face to face. He opted for the latter option, dressing in his finest clothes and facing Hideyoshi without fear. Though the regent was still angry, he was impressed with Masamune's demeanor and decided to show him at least a little mercy. In exchange for Masamune's pledge of obedience, he allowed him to keep his life and confiscated some of his territory to distribute to his own retainers. Masamune agreed, submitted, and was allowed to return to the Date domain in Tohoku. While Toyotomi Hideyoshi was effectively in command of the entire nation of Japan by the end of 1590, there was one remaining conflict which would become necessary for him to help resolve. Like many other clans of the Northeast, the Nambu clan had, since the early Muromachi period, suffered its share of disputed successions, splintering, and general disunity. Although they controlled seven districts in Mutsu province, each district was essentially governed by a different branch, some of which had taken different surnames but still considered themselves part of the Nambu. In 1582, their official daimyo died, which gave opportunity for many claimants to try and unify the clan and govern all of its relatively wealthy domains. Three primary candidates emerged. Kunohe Masazune, Nambu Nobunao, and Oura Tamenobu. Opting for succession rather than unification, Oura Tamenobu declared that the western half of the Nambu clan's territory was under his control. For the moment, this united Kunohe Masazane and Nambu Nobunao against him, and their forces made repeated incursions into Tamenobu's claimed territory. The conflict descended into indecisive guerrilla warfare in which neither side could achieve a final victory. 
Knowing that he probably couldn't hold out forever without attracting the patronage of a powerful ally, Oura Tamenobu continually tried to arrange a meeting between himself and Hideyoshi, in which he would submit to the Kampaku and the regent would confirm his status and domain. After multiple failed attempts in the late 1580s, in 1590, Tamenobu finally managed to arrange such a meeting by bringing a significant armed force to support Hideyoshi at the siege of Odawara. During the siege, Hideyoshi granted him an audience and confirmed his clan's status as an independent entity and confirmed their domain. That particular area was called Tsugaru, and the Oura family adopted the name Tsugaru for themselves. Taking a page from his book, Nambu Nobunao also brought his forces to support the Kampaku's war against the Hojo, but they arrived long after Oura Tamenobu had already completed his junket. While some of Hideyoshi's retainers supported Nobunao and lobbied for him to be named as the rightful owner of the Tsugaru domain, Hideyoshi ultimately decided that what was done was done. He recognized Nambu Nobunao as the rightful leader of the Nambu clan and confirmed the current clan holdings while respecting Oura Tamenobu's claim to Tsugaru. To Kunohe Masazane, this compromise was unacceptable and he used it to gain followers who agreed to take up arms against Nambu Nobunao. Because Nobunao and his loyalists were busy supporting Hideyoshi's siege in Kanto, the rebellion in Tohoku quickly spread, and when Nobunao returned he discovered that his domain had been divided against him. Because his enemy had already seized control of the well-fortified Kunohe castle, Nobunao appealed to Hideyoshi for assistance. Campaigning in Tohoku has often proved very difficult for the distant powers of Kansai. You may recall from previous seasons that it was not unusual for wars in the region to drag on for 10 years or longer because of the mountainous terrain, inclement weather, and elusive residents who knew the area well enough to stay hidden and uncaptured for years. By early 1591, when Hideyoshi had been made aware of the problem, he was busy planning to invade the Joseon dynasty of Korea, and certainly couldn't have an unresolved war against the daimyo whom he had just confirmed. The Kampaku coordinated with Tokugawa Ieyasu, and they marched their armies into Tohoku in mid-March of 1591. Hideyoshi's nephew Hidetsugu led the Toyotomi forces, and they coordinated with the local clans of Date, Mogami, Tsugaru, and Satake to help with suppressing this rebellion. All told, the army marching against Kunohe Masazane was probably around 60,000 strong, certainly more troops than were strictly necessary for this task, but the regent wanted a total victory. The pro-Toyotomi forces methodically attacked the rebels place by place, driving them to Kunohe Castle in the north, which they besieged in August. The rebel forces protecting the fortress were no more than 5,000, and even though their castle was well protected by natural barriers and strong walls, they soon negotiated a surrender. Corresponding through a family priest, Kunohe Masazane was promised that if he surrendered, he and his family would be pardoned. As a show of humility, he ordered his family to shave their heads and to wear white robes. Masazane's brother Sanechika had actually joined with Hideyoshi's army and was leading the attack against the castle. When the defenders opened the gates, Sanechika led his troops to the castle's inner keep, where Masazane and his family waited in their white robes. Rather than being escorted to a monastery, Sanechika's warriors, 
massacred them. The rest of the defenders were escorted to a walled portion of the castle and then locked inside while the walls were set ablaze. Accounts testify that the fire burned for three days and that no one escaped. The cruelty at the conclusion of what was really a fairly minor clan succession dispute is somewhat surprising. Certainly, Kunohe Sanichika may have been behind the massacre of his brother and family, perhaps settling an old score or trying to prove his own loyalty to the Nambu beyond a doubt. But killing the defeated defenders with fire is reminiscent of Nobunaga's tactics against the Iko Iki at the final siege of Nagashima. I was unable to find whether Toyo Tomihide Yosh had given such orders himself, but it is entirely possible that he did. It would certainly be a way of punctuating that unification had been accomplished. While the Kampaku was happy to extend kindness to defeated enemies before Odawara, the cruelty of the siege of Kunohe may have been his way of saying, that time is over. With the Kunohe rebellion squashed, Hideyoshi returned to his ambitious plans for invading Choson Dynasty Korea and, once the peninsula was in their hand, invading Ming Dynasty China. Next time, we will discuss the impending invasion of Korea from the perspective of the Ming and Choson dynasties, who were making plans of their own regarding how to respond to this sudden storm from the east. Until then, thank you for listening. If you would like access to exclusive bonus episodes, as well as ad-free versions of the regular episodes, please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash ahistoryofjapan. Thank <laughs> you.